0: Hello and good evening, this is Larissa Hunter, the owner and operator of The Three Little Sisters. We are an independent publisher that focuses on titles from around the globe. We have specialized in rare and unique uh, titles for about five years now, and are responsible for some of Maria uh, Kilbehag's books such as The Seed of Icarusel, Trickster and the Thunder God, The Poetic Edda, Six Cosmological Poems, Blade Horner 1 through 4, and her newest book coming out next spring on the goddess Idun. Tonight I'm going to be reading you a section of a book called Moriafell that was written by myself and my partner Sarah Strickland. Moriafell is the story of basically two kids who uh, accidentally get thrown into a world full of gods. So I'm going to be reading from the prelude to the story where we get to know uh, what's really kind of going on. They say sometimes the beginning of things is often in a place you would rather not know existed, for seeing the creation of a thing can make it lose its mystery somewhat. And that makes life rather dull, doesn't it? But this beginning is one that you need to understand, for understanding this one thing is to know that a book is not just an object jammed full of pages, but a living object as real as you or me. It began, of course, as everything does, at night. If you don't believe me when I say that all stories start at night, I can't help to convince you, but since I was there, I should know. There was also on that night a dragon who had just gotten a lollipop and was skipping down the road innocently while pondering the wonder of life. The beauty of this moment was juxtaposed with the oddness of the road on which the dragon found herself. Although this does not seem to relate to the story, it's something that proves that what is seemingly random may not be. Frankly, because I am the storyteller here, I have no problem telling you exactly what I want. On this night, of all nights, a dragon, a lollipop, and three sisters cross paths in a slightly unfortunate, but mostly fortunate, crossroad. The unfortunate part is that the crossroad crossed in such a way that the dragon has scarcely had time to leap out of the path of the three sisters. She remembered what her mother had told her. Whenever you see three women at a crossroads, leap away, for they could be the sisters of fate, so best you hide your little dragon tail, or else they will make you into a stew. Not wanting to be a stew, she took refuge in a sinkhole, which was the fortunate part. Just a day before, Morifel Roadworks had cleared out some of the sewage, and so the dragon found herself safely landing on a pad full of dirt, clinging onto her lollipop and trying to quiet her breathing, so as not to be detected. What is all the fuss about, said past? It's only a little problem. The fuss is, said present, That the little problem, as you put it, sister, is that the book doesn't get where it is going. They will never meet, which means they will never, you know what that means. The world will yada yada blah blah something, said future. Yes, we all know that, present. But you don't think it's going to be a wee bit too far to tell it is alive? I mean, surely that is really not required. The last time we made an object feel alive, it never forgave us, and since then, honestly, it has spent a miserable life pondering its purpose. Well, you can't house hound objects, can you? It's not our fault that the things in the universe don't see, even though their purpose is not clear. It does not imply that they have no purpose. And frankly, being alive worked for other objects, didn't it? Present replied. As long as we give it the rule, sisters, it should be fine. Past finished with a big smile upon her face. The dragon thought about peeking out, but decided it was not worth it. The thought of dragon stew was terrifying. She could picture herself floating next to olives, and the sheer idea of it gave her dragon bumps. Back on the road, the three sisters wandered off to their house, and the dragon, ensuring the roadway was clear, followed cautiously behind, now curious to discover what they were up to. She might not have been brave, but now she had to know. She mastered whatever courage she had, got up out of the sinkhole with her lollipop in tow, and crept up to the window of the little house. Inside the house there were liquids bubbling from all kinds of pots. The smell were less than desirable, and the colors were downright horrid. The three sisters put the book on a table, stood so around in a circle, and began to lecture it. Now books at present, it is time for you to leave home and to find them wherever they may be. for goodness sake said future it's a book why are you two being so emotional about this future looked at her sisters with an unsympathetic glare as the two others wiped the tears off their faces i can't help it said past it's been here for so long it's like our very own child going off to kindergarten for the first time yes sniffed present i can't help feeling emotional over this little one for some reason this little book has been so important to me Future rolled her eyes, however, some small part of her began to pick up the sadness in the room, but she comported herself quickly. All right, you ninnies, let's get ourselves together and get this done. The three sisters looked at each other and began to give the book a list of rules. Past. You must never let them know that you are alive. Present. You must always capture what you see. Future. You must always keep close watch over the readers past. Remember to wash your covers daily, present, brush your bindings regularly, and future. For rat sake, don't get caught. The three little sisters lifted their hands, waved them around, uttered some words, and tossed magical dust over the book. The book grew a face and looked at the three sisters, smiled the biggest smile, and simply sat there staring at them with the dorkiest expression that existed. He waited for them to continue while he began to think about life and the meaning of the universe, while pondering what popcorn mixed with pickles would taste like. Suddenly the sisters said one, the one thing he was afraid of. And be good, the three sisters yelled in unison. The book smiled and winked and looked as if he agreed with them. But there in the back of his mind he was thinking, what they don't know won't hurt them. Some books have a mind of their own, you know. At least this one did. The mind that he had was of two natures, one was obedient and wanted to listen to the rules, and the other was exploring the nature of the color orange, and the meaning of the word sandwich, and not nearly as interested in the right thing. Now then, said Present, go off and find them, little book, and remember the rules. Yes, little book, remember all that we taught you, finished Pass, wiping the tears from her eyes. Oh, brother, said Future. Two sisters wiped their tears from their eyes, while the other just wondered how these two were even related to her. Future grabbed up the book, opened the window, and uttered another set of words, which sent the book on its way in a puff of smoke and a trail of magic dust. And after this, I am sorry to say, we do not know where he ended up. Somewhere out there is a book on a shelf, capturing a story of his own, determining what fits in it and what does not. Within his pages the images find themselves formed, as if chosen, as if painted by a brush, others created by a computer. He will see the world as he chooses to, through his very own eye. One cannot be sure where the book is, but perhaps he is in a dusty room or a library, perhaps it is the book in your hands right now, perhaps he has found his way to you, and perhaps you will remember the gift of a story and its reader united at last. And so our story begins. The chapter two Where We Meet Our Heroes Normally, one tale has such as this would start with Once Upon a Time. But the census is not a normal story, not even one entirely based on truth. For some of these events may be at least somewhat true. It's in fact likely all of them are true. But there will be many people who never believe. As the narrator of the story, I can tell you accordingly to my own mind that the tale shows one of the greatest friendships I have ever had the privilege to witness. The adventure takes place in the home of our intrepid adventurers. In fact, it begins in two homes. The first home being of Torben Ashcroft, and the second home was of Dagny Hagen. Both lived in a remote village, where the two had been very close. This story does not begin with a happy moment. Sometimes stories begin with the slamming of car doors and the ringing of doorbells, by which separate events alone would change the lives of two children. The snow had just fallen, and had laid upon the ground, waiting to form itself into a ball, and then slowly, and then into a snow creature. In fact, the snow wished and hoped at any minute it would be used for such purpose. You would have to understand how close the two families of our two main characters were. To do that you would also have to understand that Jordan, Dagny and Torbin were meant to be friends even before they met. As if in this universe there was a moment in which friendship was predetermined. Ever met someone you immediately felt was your best friend, maybe even a lost sibling? This is what it felt this is what that feeling was. With that, let me tell you how these two kids became the fine adults I know today. The Story of Dagny Dagny Hagen was born with adventure in her blood. She was always looking for the next great thrill, and this scared her parents a little, because she would often wander off without a word. She always returned, though, and always a fantastic tale of grand adventure. It was during one of those wanderings she had an encounter with a suspicious-looking, helpful character named One-Eyed Phil. One, I feel, invented Dagny in for tea and cookies. Normally, one should think twice about going into a stranger's house, but that one is not Dagny, and besides, the fear of stranger is something that was foreign to her. It would seem odd to her. It, it would not seem odd to her to enter the home of someone she did not know. Strangers were nothing to worry about in her town. Besides, this stranger seemed oddly familiar, and it was the only house around for miles. Besides, Dad really wanted to get a ride home so that she didn't have to walk there in the sudden rain. Not that she couldn't walk in the rain, but she had forgotten to bring her rain boots with her. In any case, her mind told her that there was something about this house that she wanted to explore. One I fell was a tall man who wore a fisherman's sweater from Icelandic wool. He had thick blue jeans and work boots. You know, young lady, one of these days that "'That adventurous spirit of yours is going to bring nothing but,' said One-Eyed Phil. "'Trouble,' blurted Dagny. "'No, not trouble,' One-Eyed Phil replied. "'I would say it will bring you nothing but a wonderful life, so you better keep that up.' "'In fact,' One-Eyed Phil said with a smile. "'When I was young, my father used to say, "'Phil, my boy, there there is nothing like an adventure, "'and that young lady is exactly what my life has been.' "'He gestured over to the wall, and there were pictures of Phil's adventures.' There were shots of him on a fishing boat, shots of them on a mountain. There were some with little odd people in every place, tattooed ladies and bald-headed monks. Phil seemed to have a life full of life, and it made Dagny smile to think to herself that this is what I want someday. These photos are amazing, Phil. You must tell me about some of the adventures one day. I bet they would make an interesting story, Dagny said, smiling at Phil. Oh, I bet... I could do, he said. My life has been one of good times and bad times, as most lives, I should think. But I lived every day with the penchant for adventure. One day I wondered to myself what I could learn from this world, and that, and what I could give back to it. It was the spirit that took me to places that seem now to be so unreal. In fact, I think, many are places so fantastical it would boggle your mind just to know that they are real. Like what? Dagny asked. Meet some unicorns there, Phil, she said, laughing. Look at me with this unicorn, she said, making a Phil impression. Phil just looked at her with a deep sense of, little do you know, but instead met her stare and said, maybe I did, and maybe I didn't. But the one thing I did find out is that there is a love for life, and it taught me to see things differently, to learn about things I did not know. To meet things, meet people I did not know, and to expand my family, to include it from people in all walks of life. In fact, my father gave me something, and I think, even though he might not know it, it was intended for you, Dagny. Phil went and got a silver box from the shelf. He opened it, reached in, and, came, and out came a compass. He handed it to Dagny with a rather particular statement. Remember, my young free girl, he said... A compass may provide you a way in the dark a way to find your path a way to find home but only if you have the means to use it and now when it might be better to not listen to the direction it claims you are traveling my father told me to find someone who might want to live their life like me i think that's you dagny i think that's you dagny opened the compass opened its cover and saw the beautiful engraving inside which read Vivo Merfurcus Live the adventure. And that is what made the spark of adventure flourish in Dagny. This one small gift had confirmed everything for her. I can't accept this from you, Phil, she said, trying to give it to him. It's your family's. I mean, I am no one. Pish posh you are, Dagny, and I get to say who is my family and who is not. I will be the last of my line here. I got no family on my own and in my world a gift is given to those who need it. I do ask, though, one thing, though, from you, young lady. What's that? replied Dagny. One day pass it on to someone with spirit just like you. Now let's get you on home before your family worries. Phil took Dagny home, and upon delivery got a traded box of cookies, two full cups of hot cocoa, and many hugs from parents who had thought that Phil had a certain mystique, he left Dagny's house, and returned home, back to his own house by the sea. Torben Ashcroft Torben, on the other hand, was a little less adventurous, and a little more practical. Torben was born sweet. Sometimes, for unknown reasons, there is a baby who is born a certain way. It may be in their DNA, encoded in a spirit in which they spend their entire lives growing. It seems that the universe knows exactly what kind of baby a family needs. There is something twinkling, like a bright star, shining in the night sky, and this little twinkle seems to know what baby belongs to what parent, either by birth or by adoption. We all find our little place where we can call family and call home. Torben's spirit seemed to come from a place that was way more connected to the earth than Dagny's. He loved the feeling of the land around him from a young age he was fascinated by rocks, formations of land, animals, caring for nature, and work in general. Torben was inspired a lot by his mom, who was very much a farm-to-table gal, having been raised in an agricultural environment from his dad, who hobby-farmed. Both were environmental lawyers, and Torben had been with them to see them in court, to see how the legal system protected the land, and as well, people who were connected to it. His biggest moment of inspiration and what goes farther in explaining a lot about his focus on the environment and his penchant for peace and community was his teacher, Mr. Finch, who was a tall man with slender features. He always seemed to wear a piece of green clothing and had buttons on his lapel that had slogans such as tree, matter, save the earth, and others that indicated what mattered to him. It was not just the buttons that indicated his mentality. It was what Mr. Finch did and what he talked about in class. He spoke one day about peaceful protests and how the environment matters, and it was something about this speech that drove Torbin to do more. All right, class, Mr. Finch began, let's sit down and talk about the environment. Audible groans erupted in the classroom, with the exception of Torbin, who had his pen and paper ready. I know we all think that talking about the environment is boring. It's overdone. People like to lecture others on their bad habits, but the truth is, class, if we don't take care of this planet, there is little hope it will be here to take care of us. Humans have been here for such a short time, but whether you believe that we evolved or were created by something, the plan re- requires care. Why? Because we rely on it to grow our food, to feed our animals, to provide us with shade, water, safe sun, and visible sky. In my life I have seen our world face critical rates of pollution and yet we have fought against it. Mr. Finch closed all the blinds, he set up a projector and turned it on before continuing. What you'll see here are some photos of people peacefully protesting. And this shows that people have the power to change things. People and the environment are so bonded and we use people peaceful protest to show how to show our love for the planet we live on. By using peaceful protest, you show that you respect your fellow citizens and respect the world around you. So remember that the earth is our home and we need to do our part by picking up trash, by doing small things like riding bicycles or walking, and big things like helping organize, speaking out and up on environmental issues because it's everyone's planet. The blinds went up and the class set about making a big project for the year creating your own recycled craft. Torben was a flurry of ideas. He began began to sketch out what he could do to recycle, and for some reason the idea came to him of repurposing a kettle. He would turn it into a fairy house, just like Mom and Dad used to do. When he was young, his parents were always reusing things, and they repurposed all of it. They used egg cartons to pot seedlings, they rinsed out bottles and used them again and again, reducing the need for new ones. But his favorite was when parents would get together and create some DIY projects to do themselves. They made old seedy wind chimes, used bottles for birdhouse, and every year they made a fairy one. So he thought he could do something that was connected to him and to his family. At the end of the day, he took up his sketch to the teacher to show him what he wanted to do. he had written out all the steps and found a picture he would base it on. His sketch showed little doors and windows, all made out of polymer clay. He brought it out to Mr. Finch, and that was when the most pivotal moment occurred. Finish, Mr. Finch? Torben smiled, slapping his sketches and documents on the notes in front of him. Wow, Torben, Mr. Finch replied. These are some of the best sketches I have seen. i love to see how much you use the pot and create a completely new item out of it. Come see me after class. I have something I would like to give you. The class went on, and before the students knew what was happening, the bell rang, and Mr. Torben stopped at Mr. Finch's desk to see what this gift would be. When I was young, my teacher, who must have seen my future on, for me, one that I see in you, gave me this pen, and I have been waiting a long time to find a student that I would pass it on to. He handed the pen to Torben, who took it gently, turning it around in his fingers a few times, before carefully turning it to read its face. Peace, planet, protect. The image on the center of the pin was really interesting. It was a golden boar. The boar, Mr. Finch said, is a representation of the fact that all things can be renewed. Thanks, Mr. Finch, replied Torben, I won't ever lose it. And to this day, a pin sits on Torben's backpack, a reminder to keep the peace, protect what's ours, and live on this planet with purpose. The last section I'm going to read to you tonight is introducing our final character toad a short man round was wandering around the fireplace in one hand he fat held a fat chunk of ham and in the other was shaking one of the yule gifts that tarvin had put under the tree he stopped in front of the fireplace and looked closely at the inscription on the mantle he frumped and looked at both of his hands not quite sure what to put down the gift or the food He finally settled on the gift and began wiping at the inscriptions, gathering handfuls of ash and soot to rub on the mantle. Dagnily chuckled as she watched him smear the ash, because he only succeeded in smearing it all over his hands and arms. Before long he was covered in greasy ash, and the inscription on the mantle was still readable. She stomped across the floor and peered into the startled eyes of the little man. He was dressed in what some circles might be called grunge. His outfit was patched in places with pieces of loosely connected fabric. His shows were covered in mud and soot, probably something else, and he smelled like old cheese and dog farts. Who are you and what are you doing here, she asked, trying her best to look scary. Who am I, he replied. Who are you? But Dagny just stood there, staring at him, until he sighed and gave in. Fine it. Have it your way, then. Name's Tote." toad torven kno- wrinkled to- nose wrinkled up at such a horrible name what on earth thanks for the grub by the way been a while since i've had some good eating like this he smiled and started rubbing his inscription on his mantle with his sleeve so uh you kids sleep at night or no the kids looked at each other and smirked um Torvin giggled unless you're some weirdo is messing around with their house late at night sure right right toad said sagely took me a few minutes for him to catch his breath and he gasped hey wait a minute dagny sensed that toad that this toad fellow may not exactly be the brightest thing in the world but not meaning to seem rude to the little man she offered him the only thing that she could think of cookie offered dagny handing toad a cookie from santa's plate I don't mind if I do," he chuckled, and accepted the cookie, eating it loudly and not paying any attention. That half of it never made it into his mouth. He wiped his mouth the back of his dirty sleeve and slop- smiled a lopsided grin. Cookie crumbs seemed to envelop Toad's beard. He started to appear more like a frosted sugar cookie than whatever it was. At this point, Dagnine was happy her parents caught her to eat with her mouth cold, taught her to eat with her mouth closed. Torben was fascinated with Toad. He looked at him almost with scientific curiosity. He was making a list of questions. At some point, his inner voice spilled out into his outer voice. So, what exactly are you? Torben blurted. I am what you humans would call a house elf, he replied, prouting, pu- proudly puffing out his chest slightly. A what? Dagny studied the small man, confused. A house elf, he repeated slowly. He shook his head in frustration when her look of confusion didn't go away oh for pete's sake a house elf is the caretaker of the land those who live on it we you know he stammered make sure everything is order and working properly he looked at Torbin and Daggy neat absolutely brushing cookie crumbs from his beard into the floor my last house got lost so here i am toto must look like he was going to sink into sadness or cry or maybe vomit up the half chewed cookie still rolling around in his mouth well what in the world are you doing at our home torban interrupted Well, you don't have to get all pushy on dear toad he said i'll tell you i'll tell you if you get something for me already did Diny beam so spill it you got your cookie now spill it what are you doing here toad pulled out the corner of something and wiped his face blowing his nose for added effect and looked at the two children with an expression somewhere between lost puppy and sad chicken. Well, you see here, he began, this house used to be a very special place for us house elves. This house is built on a line of land that is very special. This house was built a long time ago when the world was very different. A world when they believed in us elves, believed in us so much, they would make us elves little homes to live in. They would put out plates with honey and bread Ay, it was a different and wonderful time for us, but then it happened. You humans not believing in us, and that is when we moved away to a different place. What does that have to do with us? Torben pushed. Well, Tove contemplated his next words carefully, it's not really to do with you, but more to do with the house that picked you. Sometimes it's like that, you know. It's not up to you, to, but sometimes up to a house or a tree or a squirrel to determine your fate a squirrel, snorted Dagny. You don't know how resourceful that squirrel is, to- Toad chided back. This one time that squirrel saved the world, I will have you know, and he has never let anyone forget. But as I was saying, before you being interrupted, sometimes it's not the people who pick their fate, but the people who have their fate picked for them. And I'm afraid you two are the people in this case. Dagny and Torbin just stared at Toad with a look of puzzlement and bewilderment. But not to worry, you two, Toad smiled. You have been assigned some help. Toad reached into his pocket and pulled out a piece of paper. He uncrumpled it, flattened it, coughed a few times, mumbled a lot of, let me see here, oh, um, hmm, yes, and that too, before he continued on. I hereby inform you that Toad, that's me, is assigned to the home of Hagnon and Ashcroft, that's you, to be their guide through the epic world of Moriafat. So is declared by the high elf. Agency of assignment and management on this 11th of August in the elvish year of 4578, herein and so forth, etc., etc., and thereby the powers by granted by the house High Elf confirmed upon me, Mr. Toad Esquire, so forth and so on, may confer that he was in his full rights to use magic as approved by the agency of appropriate use, and therefore so on and so on. I, Toad, will be officially designated as the house elf for Hagnon Ashcroft until such time as so on and so forth, blah 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 so you see here, I'm here to say it is all official, signed right there in black and white, toad it finished by handing Dagny a piece of paper that was smeared with jam. It was impossible to tell that this document was even legitimate, based on the fact that it looked like it was written in purple crayon but there he was, proud as a peach, staring right at Dagny and smiling so you see here, girlie, that I be the official house elf so I beg your pardon, and say thank you, for asking, and good night." Tro- Toad dropped the document like a smug victor who had just won the ultimate battle of wits. Except he was not, because the part that Toad left out are the parts that would likely have been left should have been left in, especially clause number five. But as with many things, Toad was not, not one to read the fine print hang on just a second mr dagny exclaimed that doesn't make any sense not my fault you don't understand the fine print there you have it all legal and everything and the seal of approval and all from the high council of elves told replied shoving the dirty dingy papers in dagny's face once again and again the purple carry-on did not appear any less ridiculous than the first time she stared at it in fact the more she looked at it the more she was convinced this elf could not be trusted It was in that moment that these two silently declared their general taste for each other. Ever meet someone that you just know in that moment will be your arch nemesis? There is a moment that you realize that there's just something about this person that you will never understand and never grasp, and this person will likely be one of many who is trying to avoid, ignore, and erase from memory, and yet they keep turning up like a bad penny. They are just always there. Always watching as if waiting to remind you how much you dislike them. And yes, Kevin, I am talking about you. But I digress. This book is not about me or my issues with Kevin. Sometimes, but I understand that how easy it is for us small wedges to form that sometimes grow into even bigger wedges and then eventually form super stinky wedges that once formed only leave us with wanting not to be anywhere near the person who smells like stinky wedge cheese. If you put Degney and Torben in cheese form, you would probably at this point be growing a slightly stinky blue cheese if not corrected, could in fact turn into a fetid one. It was true that if these two were ever put together to teach each other something of value, however when the universe does this, the cruel irony of the situation is not and should not be lost on us. It is often those that we find the most irritating that in fact were right all along, and at some point we lament, oh if only I had listened, and this was the case of Dagny and Toad. The two seemed almost polar opposite in the world, the most unlikely of friends. And yet there was something about this pairing that the world would see eventually lead to both walking away with a different perspective. Turbin was mostly trying to piece together, he, he had so many questions and not one of them was answered, which was the primary question of why. I mean, he heard him, but it was not sinking in, not in the least. And that is the end of the introduction of Morifel. I hope all of you have a wonderful holiday season. If you want to grab a copy of Morifel, it's available on our website at https 3 sisters.com. You can also grab our other children's book called Twilight Tales, which has a collection of different kinds of stories for kids. One about Sasha the bunny rabbit who learns about telling the truth and featuring the goddess Frey. Uh, we also have The Most Awesomeness Fairy featuring the goddess Freyr. So there's lots of books there that are um, heathen and pagan content for those parents who are interested in that. Hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and thank you very much for your support.
1: Vasilisa the Brave. Many years ago, there lived a girl named Vasilisa. Some say she was the most beautiful girl in her village. And very smart, too. When she was young, her mother died, leaving her a small wooden doll as a token of remembrance. Keep it close, her mother said. As long as you feed it every day, it will help you in times of need. Vasilisa grew up and fed the doll every day. Her father remarried, but Vasilisa's stepmother and stepsisters did not like her. They were very mean to her. The stepmother made her work very hard, but with the help of the doll, Vasilisa was able to complete every task her stepmother gave her. Friends would often come by to visit Vasilisa, and as she grew older, suitors came to the house to ask for her hand in marriage. Her stepmother ordered them all to leave, and she wanted Vasilisa to work for her instead of start a life of her own. One day her father had to leave on a business trip. While he was away, His wife sold the house and moved Vasilisa and her stepsisters to a small hut in a dark forest. In this forest lived a witch named Baba Yaga, whom all the villagers feared. One evening, the stepmother decided to play a trick on Vasilisa. While she was working, she blew out all the candles except for one. "'You can't work in darkness,' she said. "'Go to Baba Yaga and ask to borrow a light.' Vasilisa went out into the forest. She was afraid, so she fed her doll and asked it for advice. What should I do? All the townsfolk say Baba Yaga is old and mean. Some even say she possesses strange and evil powers. Do not be afraid, her doll said. I can keep you safe. She walked all day until at last she came to Baba Yaga's hut. It was hard to miss. It stood on two chicken legs, and the fence was made of bones, with lamps made of skulls along the top. The gate was made of long, fearsome teeth that locked together. She was very afraid, but she knew her doll would keep her safe. She took a deep breath and walked inside. She entered to find Baba Yaga sitting at her table. Who is there? the witch said, turning around. Vasilisa gulped. It it is I, Vasilisa. My stepmother has sent me to ask you for a light. Ah, yes, I have heard of her.
2: I will give you a light, but you must work for it. Stay here the night and help me do some chores. If you are good, I will send you home with the light you need.
1: Behind Vasilisa, the gates closed their teeth, shutting her in. First, Baba Yaga asked Vasilisa to bring her dinner. When she got to the stove, there was enough food to feed the whole town. Baba Yaga ate it all, leaving Vasilisa only scraps. I am finished
2: and I'm going to bed, said Baba Yaga as she finished her meal. In the barn there is a barrel of corn. In the morning you shall pick out all the rotten kernels. After that you must clean the house, cook my meals and wash the linens and clothing. If you do not complete these tasks, write down to every rotten
1: colonel, I will keep you here forever. When she heard Baba Yaga sleeping, she pulled her doll out of her pocket. How can I possibly finish all those chores? Oh, I will never get out of here. I'll never see my father again. Don't worry, assured the doll. I'll help you. Get some rest and we'll start our work in the morning. When she awoke the next day, Baba Yaga was already awake and gone. Vasilisa trot out to the barn to start her work. To her surprise, she found the corn already sorted. The doll had done it. All you need to do is prepare supper. I will help with the rest, whispered the doll. All day, Vasilisa and the doll worked side by side. When Baba Yaga returned, she was shocked to find a spotless house with a hot meal waiting on the table.
2: Very well, she said, though she was suspicious. Tomorrow you must do the same, and also separate the poppy seeds from the dirt.
1: No problem, said Vasilisa. The next morning, Baba Yaga once again rode off, and when she returned, Vasilisa had once again exceeded her expectations. Come, sit with me, she said, as she ate the meal Vasilisa had prepared. She was beginning to see that Vasilisa was not only beautiful, but had courage and confidence. Everyone else in the village was afraid of her, but Vasilisa was not. They sat in silence and ate their food. Though Baba Yaga had turned out to be much nicer than she had been made out to be, Vasilisa was still nervous around her. Then Baba Yaga said, Let me ask you a question.
2: How have you been able to finish the tremendous amount of work I have given you?
1: Shyly, Vasilisa responded. Before she died, my mother gave me a charm. The magic of this charm helps me accomplish the impossible. I knew it, cried Baba Yaga, jumping out of her chair in anger.
2: You had help. I won't have any charms or sorcery in this house.
1: Leave at once, she said, pointing toward the gate, its twisted grin holding back the night. Here. Here she said, handing Vasilisa a skull from
2: the fence. A light to guide you home. All you needed was a light, correct?
1: All night and day she walked, and by the next evening she had reached her home again. She was just about to throw out the skull when she heard it speak. Better keep me, dear. Your stepmother still needs light. Vasilisa went bounding up the steps to her house. Sure, her stepmother was livid. I am home, she cried as she flew in the door. You will not believe what I... She stopped short and gasped. As soon as she entered, the skull fixed its gaze on her stepmother and stepsisters. All night it held them in its grasp. Try as they might, they could not leave its sight. When Vasilisa awoke in the morning, she could not find her stepmother and stepsisters at all. Just piles of dust where they had been the night before.
3: Hi, my name is Jennifer Hartman, and today I'll be reading my book, Old Mother Frost. The Old Mother Frost is the Yuletide story of an ancient Norse goddess who sleeps all year long, waking only to make sure children are happy, healthy, and festive during the longest and coldest time of the year. Old Mother Frost, a children's Yuletide story. There's one woman who's older than the oldest Yuletide story. She is Old Mother Frost, and she lives in the sky. She sleeps in a bed made of feathers all year, and only wakes up when the days turn cold and nights grow long. When she wakes up, she shakes out her mattress. The loose feathers that fall from it turn to snow. During the 12 days of Yuletide, she comes down to earth to check on children to make sure they are happy, healthy, and festive. When she comes down from the sky, she takes the form of a young woman. She wears a red hooded cloak and a crown made of holly and acorns. She calls herself Mother Hulda. Mother Halda visits every home to make sure children are well. No one has ever seen her, but they know she is near when it starts to snow. The first thing she checks for is that the children are decorating their homes and crafting. Only then does she know they are festive. Next, she looks for a feast to make sure children are well fed. Only then does she know they are healthy. Before she leaves, she checks for a plate of cookies and a crackling fire. Only then does she know children are happy and warm. If the house is decorated, the children are full, and cookies are by the fireplace, Mother Hulda leaves a gift at the front door. At the stroke of midnight on December 24th, Mother Hulda runs out of time. The snow carries her away to her home in the sky, where she turns back into Old Mother Frost and sleeps until next Yuletide. The end. Thank you so much for listening to my story, Old Mother Frost. I hope you enjoy your Yuletide. Hi, my name is Jennifer Hartman, and today I'll be reading my book, Old Mother Frost. The Old Mother Frost is a Yuletide story of an ancient Norse goddess who sleeps all year long, waking only to make sure children are happy, healthy, and festive during the longest and coldest time of the year. Old Mother Frost, a children's Yuletide story. There's one woman who's older than the oldest Yuletide story. She is Old Mother Frost and she lives in the sky. She sleeps in a bed made of feathers all year and only wakes up when the days turn cold and nights grow long. When she wakes up, she shakes out her mattress. The loose feathers that fall from it turn to snow. During the 12 days of Yuletide, she comes down to earth to check on children to make sure they are happy, healthy, and festive. When she comes down from the sky, she takes the form of a young woman. She wears a red hooded cloak and a crown made of holly and acorns. She calls herself Mother Halda. Mother Halda visits every home to make sure children are well. No one has ever seen her, but they know she is near when it starts to snow. The first thing she checks for is that the children are decorating their homes and crafting. Only then does she know they are festive. Next, she looks for a feast to make sure children are well fed. Only then does she know they are healthy. Before she leaves, she checks for a plate of cookies and a crackling fire. Only then does she know children are happy and warm. If the house is decorated, the children are full and cookies are by the fireplace. Mother Hilda leaves a gift at the front door. At the stroke of midnight on December 24th, Mother Halder runs out of time. The snow carries her away to her home in the sky, where she turns back into Old Mother Frost and sleeps until next Yuletide. The end. Thank you so much for listening to my story, Old Mother Frost. I hope you enjoy your Yuletide.